Welcome to In Plain Sight, a cybercrime magazine podcast series brought to you by Conceal. Conceal is the creator of Conceal Browse, a lightweight browser extension that converts any web browser into a secure, zero-trust browser, providing protection against ransomware and credential theft attacks that bypass other security controls. To learn more, visit conceal.io. I'm Paul John Spaulding. Here with me today is Teresa Payton, the former White House CIO and an advisor to Conceal. Teresa, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's always great to be with you, Paul. Thanks for having me. I wanted to discuss phishing and social engineering since it's a persistent issue. Teresa, what are your observations and top concerns regarding these threats? Thank you for bringing up a critical topic because, I mean, phishing and social engineering, it's still a huge problem, actually maybe even a growing problem. These persistent threats indeed require constant vigilance, and I've got a few observations and top concerns going into this year. One, the sophistication of attacks. Phishing and social engineering attacks are becoming increasingly sophisticated. Cyber criminals are adept at creating convincing and targeted messages that can easily deceive even well-informed individuals. I'll give you an example. We were bombarded last summer in my company with receiving emails from human resources that had QR codes, and it was inviting our employees to scan the QR code to get access to their benefits and changes to benefits. Now, my employees know we actually have a social media channel internally in the company where we post the craziest things going on that are clearly phishing. We reported it actually to Microsoft because it was getting past all the different tools. And it was incredibly sophisticated. You know, if we hadn't been training our employees on a regular basis, they probably would have fallen prey to it. I'll give you another example. With tools such as BARD or ChatGPT, these generative AI tools, not only can you write a convincing email or text message in any language around the world that you want to, even if it's not your native language, but you can actually instruct the tool to give the tone or a vernacular that would be convincing. For example, and I'm not teaching people how to do this, I'm just saying you could see things like this happening. You could target Disney employees, and you could be from anywhere around the world and use an engineering prompt in your generative AI tool of choice that says write this response in American English because we speak different English than, say, perhaps our friends in the UK. And model the response after how Bob Iger would talk to his employees. And there's enough Bob Iger material out there that the generative AI could build a very convincing message. But I do want to also change the conversation. I do see where people talk about humans are the weakest link. And I want to change our thought process there. Humans need to be protected. The human user story is, I'm just a hardworking person trying to get my job done. And oftentimes my job involves responding to text messages and responding to emails. So don't call me the weakest link. Put safety nets around me. Make it easy for me to do my job, but also easy to spot and stop these social engineering campaigns. I guess it kind of goes back to our employees, the weakest link or the greatest strength that you have, because maybe if you treat them as a strength, it actually enables you to be even more secure. Is that kind of the mentality you're getting at? Yes. I love how you phrase that, Paul. You and I are on the same wavelength here. Your employees are your first line of defense, and they're your first line of offense, actually. And this really speaks to not only do you want sort of the 
technological safety nets around them. So it's automatically filtering, it's warning people, headers that say, warning, warning, this is really from outside your organization. Be careful, be wary. But also think about the type of training you're giving them. You know, is it comprehensive? Is it engaging? Most of the training that I've been required to take over the course of my career, I call it the they snooze, you lose, because it's this sort of compliance checklist training. You pretty much know the answer. You got to put up with the material and the content so you can get to the test and check it off a box. No, 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 that is not the way to go. Make it regular, make it interactive, make it engaging. Don't just touch on things at work, touch on things in their personal life where they can make their family safer, the elderly members in their family safer, their friends, their loved ones. If you do that, they are going to be both your first line of offense and your first line of defense. Absolutely. Well, I did want to bring up something too, because you mentioned AI before, and we interviewed Mark McLaughlin. He's the former chairman, president, and CEO at Palo Alto Networks. And he said something very similar to you, Teresa, which is AI enables bad actors to easily scale phishing campaigns, essentially, which is what you said as well. And I guess I wanted to ask you, there is that bad side to it, but just maybe like with the employees, there's, you could look at it from one perspective, but maybe that's not the right perspective. And I do want to ask you about AI because it is red hot right now. It's everywhere in the news, both for consumers and for companies. Do you think in general, AI is helping out the black hats more or the white hats? I'm just curious your thoughts there. Yes and yes. And so your inquiry here is, again, spot on. There's a critical conversation that we need to have, and that is there's a dual-edged nature of artificial intelligence. So obviously, the utilization of AI and cyber attacks represents a really significant game changer for the criminals in the tactics that they're employing. AI-powered tools definitely have the potential to enhance the sophistication and efficacy of the attacks. It allows adversaries to adapt and respond dynamically to any security measures that we implement. So technology alone is not going to get us out of this. But I will say on the good guy and good gal side of things, AI also empowers cybersecurity defenders in their efforts to detect, prevent, and respond to threats. I love what I'm seeing from different solutions that have deployed machine learning algorithms because they can analyze vast data sets and identify patterns indicative of malicious activities, maybe a profile of what a cybercriminal syndicate or a nation state looks like, and they can actually enable proactive measures that can sort of at the lowest level be handled without having to even engage a human being to sort of stop and block the threat in that moment and then alert the human beings in the security operations center if something is more pressing. So it's really going to be a balancing act between the good side and the bad side of AI, but we can't ignore it. And as AI evolves, so too must our offensive and defensive strategies. So I'm going to see, you know, we've always needed great collaboration within the cybersecurity community. This is going to be critical in the months to come with generative AI, machine learning, behavioral-based analytics, moving to sort of this next phase of maturity. We're all going to have to be sharing more in real time than we have in the past. Yeah, this is something you're right, that's going to evolve greatly, especially over this year. So maybe we could even have you come back on to dive deeper into AI and some current event items, especially when it comes to elections and things like that, which I know you're an expert on as well. Would love to. As a matter of fact, I've got a updated edition, second edition of Manipulated coming out in April and the pre-sales will start here pretty soon. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. Looking forward to getting the word out. So one thing I did want to touch upon too, Teresa, is 
kind of going back to that original idea of entry points for phishing, so how an adversary would enter a company. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is collaboration tools, because I feel like that's how a lot of people talk. And it could even be through like a text message or a WhatsApp or something similar to that. But my main thing centers around, do you think when we're thinking about phishing vectors, like phishing attack vectors, are people's guards down because of the more casual, informal nature of these chat and collaboration apps? Yeah, you've got a very astute observation there. Collaboration tools definitely have given a new dimension to our digital interactions. Candidly, I don't know what we would have done without them during the shutdown of the pandemic. I really don't know how we would have all functioned and survived both personally and professionally. But there is a valid concern about the ability for phishing attacks to spill out of our emails, spill out of our text messages, and into collaboration tools. And the reason being is we've spent many, many years training people on, if you get an email, think twice before you click on a link and open attachment. That kind of easily translates into also on your phone now. So we're able to sort of take that same training, that same education awareness. But social collaboration tools are a little bit different. They feel more casual. Sometimes they feel a little bit more like, you know, kind of a Walden garden. So it's just kind of like, we're the only ones who know we're here. And so it feels safer. A lot of times they're on big name platforms for companies that have fabulous security investments and fabulous security teams. So it feels like you can let your guard down a little bit. So there's a little bit more of that casual collaborative nature which is good because you can be innovative and creative and share ideas, but it's bad when it comes to cyber criminal syndicates and nation states. So we really have to be thinking about this integration of third-party apps, external content sharing, collaboration, chat apps. These could be potential entry points into your organization's infrastructure. Yeah, connectedness might be a blessing, but potentially also, I don't want to say a curse, but definitely something to watch out for is what I'm hearing from you. Absolutely. And here's what I would recommend, because you don't want to just shut off collaboration tools. But I would recommend either your internal audit team or external audit team do some regular security audits of the collaboration tools that are being used, spot check all the configurations. If somebody does your pen testing or your red teaming, you might want to ask them to put that in scope of, you know, one of your quarterly, weekly, monthly, you know, whatever your frequency is, maybe put that in scope and just see What could they possibly do? Could they get access to an account? Could they move laterally from there? So it might just be a good idea to just sort of add it to your list of things that when you're taking a look under the hood and you're doing pen testing, vulnerability scanning, configuration management reviews, don't forget these tools. Well, Teresa, speaking of tools, you're an advisor to Conceal. So obviously you believe in the product. And in an ideal world, maybe nobody would actually click on a phishing link, but In the event somebody does click, the idea is that this technology would run interference for us. So you did touch upon what some companies can do for certain specific instances, but I'm curious if you have any other advice about how companies really should be protecting themselves from phishing attacks. Sure. Yes. I mean, obviously having browser-based tool like Conceal and some of the other tools that are out there, you know, multiple layers of defense. What email program do you use? Talk to that vendor and find out how can you maximize the security features that are already built in to stop the bad things from entering in the first place. Looking at sort of your domain name settings and, you know, can somebody spoof your domain name? 
So try to put in place all of those proactive sort of behind the scenes security measures to begin with. So again, we can let people do their jobs and whatever their job is for your organization. But then, you know, maybe deploy some things that are a little bit more of a warning. So if somebody's getting an email from the CEO of your own company, but you're using headers that alert people that this is an email that came from outside of your domain, wow, that's going to get their attention. <laughs> like, wait a minute, that can't be my CEO, you know, especially when we're all working off of our mobile phones and the screen is so small and not everybody knows how to go look at the header records. Then the tools, they're not going to solve all your problems. Stuff is still going to get through. And, you know, it feels like sometimes the tools, they block the simplest things that should get through. Like my mom loves to send me like new statistics on cybercrime. We call her our unofficial top senior analyst because she's <laughs> always finding these different reports and sending them to me. And, do you know, our filters block my mom's emails like 50% of the time, but stuff like the fake HR email gets through. I'm always kind of like, wow. So you have to be thinking about the fact that tools alone will not get it done. It's really people process technology. Start with the human user story. Think about everybody's role in the organization. When they do interact with email, text messages, social media, collaboration platforms, what are they trying to get done? And how might a nefarious operative take advantage of them, try to gain their trust and make their way in? And based on that, think about besides the technology, what can you do for the people from an education awareness standpoint? And then what can you do for a process? Are there ways to have a process where maybe there's a maker checker rule? So if you have somebody who gets duped into a wire transfer they shouldn't be doing, but you have three people in your organization who don't just like rubber stamp it, but they really think about it, they take a look at it, and their job is to QC it, you could potentially avoid having a problem and wiring money to people you shouldn't be wiring it to. So that to me, you have to think in a comprehensive, holistic way Tools are fabulous because it really helps block a lot, but then go down to what is the human user story, the people part, and then what are your processes in place to have those additional safety nets? Do you think companies are paying as much attention to the physical side of this? And by that, I mean somebody, I believe the buzzword term is tailgating, someone dressing up as a maintenance for whatever service like internet or some kind of water system for the building that you're working in. Someone impersonating somebody else, low level, maybe that would get by normally, the UPS guy. Do you think people are considering that? Because if somebody gets in, maybe there's a computer unlocked at the reception desk or there's you know, just the office conference room over there and somebody left their laptop in it. I'm trying to think of these more severe, and I don't know if these are edge case scenarios. That's why I'm bringing it up. And I'm just curious if you had any thoughts about this. These unauthorized physical entry is a real and present danger. And, you know, one thing I'll say, because we used to do this, well, I'm sure they still do it, but when I was in the financial services industry, we used to do this where we would see if the physical access control systems could be thwarted, especially if you think about bankers in the South, which is where I live and where I've spent a majority of my career, we're all super friendly. We want to help people. You see somebody who's struggling to open the door with a bunch of big old boxes in their hands, you're going to go help them because that's just kind of how it is culturally. So we were trying to walk that fine line between you don't want your brick and mortar employees to ignore customers or treat everybody like a criminal, 
But how do you do the right level of training, awareness, and then testing of your controls to find that fine line? And so what we found was a variety of different things. You know, for starters, in certain geographies, we would say to people before the door is going to be open, even if your hands are full, stop at the door and on the intercom, announce your name and who you're here to see and what your business is. And then other areas, you know, you might have more foot traffic and might be a little bit more relaxed. But always telling people, like, if somebody's got their hands full and you feel the need to help them, before you do, you could say to them, can you show me your badge, the nature of why you're here? And then no one ever got fired for double checking. So if somebody says, well, I was told to come check the HVAC, give me access, and they have a clipboard and a uniform on, you can always say, well, give me one moment. I just want to touch base with facilities management. So I always tell people, this is a really important area not to overlook. You can have an internal team do this. It's pretty straightforward. You could hire an external team to do this, but don't overlook how a physical security issue could create a cybersecurity issue. And I'll give you one more example. We had a client that had a lot of different physical venues. And one of the things they wanted us to do was sort of spot check some of the different physical venues that were in sort of more remote areas and see if we could kind of get our way onto the networks in these more remote areas. And it was a one-story building. So I said to the team, I'm just going to go up to the roof and take a look around. And they had like the stairs ostensibly for maintenance people where you could go up the stairs to the roof. So I go up to the roof and I see up on the roof, and this is something I think about because maintenance, certain industries, there is a very low threshold, a very low tolerance for downtime. So if you're in an industry like banking, for example, it's 99.9, there's six nines, nine, seven to availability that most banks are trying to achieve. So this was not a bank, but it was another type of organization that needed to have high uptime, low downtime. So I thought, you know what? There might be maintenance access up on the roof. That's why I went to the roof. And sure enough, I found a port, like an ethernet port for maintenance. And we plugged in our laptop and sure enough, it was live That was like the quickest red team. (laughs) I wasn't trying to prove a point when I did that, but I just want to point out to people that a lot of the things that you have to do in order to be available, have high uptime, have high availability. Sometimes you may have some overlook maintenance bypasses in the physical realm that could become your cybersecurity nightmare. Yeah. I mean, I don't work in banking. And I think for me, I don't always think about, oh, yeah, they have to be operational basically 100% of the time. So they are considering things differently than how I would or the quote unquote armchair expert coming in and saying all these things. So this is extremely practical advice and thoughts that you're giving. And I also want to say you said something really interesting, which is nobody got fired for double checking. I want to like print that out on a t-shirt and give it out to people because I think that's a really interesting viewpoint. And it makes a lot of sense too, because it makes people want to talk about things and ask questions and just make sure everybody's mentally aware of what's going on basically. Brian Moynihan, who's the CEO of Bank of America, one of the things that he says to his leadership team a lot and to his employees, and I used to work for Bank of America a long time ago, is be curious. So that's what I would just tell people is stop, take a deep breath, be curious, ask questions. You're not going to get fired for it. Absolutely. Well, Teresa, incredible knowledge here. I really appreciate you coming on. But before we go, is there anything else you want to add? I do. Thank you for giving me a moment to do that, Paul. I've been thinking about this a lot. So I wanted to add that social engineering is coming for all of us in the form of deep fake videos and voices replicating real personas. 
And my fear is it could happen here in the next several months that these deep fake videos and voices replicating real personas can almost pass the Turing test, that test where the human doesn't know it's interacting with the machine. And this is going to require creative countermeasures for all of us around this tactic. One example is, so if you think you're interacting with your CEO on video, just kind of pay attention to some visual and audio cues. But before something like that happens, maybe everybody should have an internal passphrase that's not easily guessed by looking at social media or kind of the corporation's website so that you can request that ad hoc during a transaction or a conversation. We're at the point, Paul, where we're going to have to be able to ensure proof of life and authenticity of the person. We're not going to be able to just rely on our eyes and ears as it relates to being on video conferencing. And so that would be the other realm that I want people to be thinking about, because I do think it is a real and present danger here in the next several months. It's an exciting but scary world we live in. Teresa, I really appreciate you coming on and joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Take care. Be safe out there. In Plain Sight is a Cybercrime Magazine podcast series sponsored by Conceal, the creator of Conceal Browse, a lightweight browser extension that converts any web browser into a secure, zero-trust browser providing protection against ransomware and credential theft attacks that bypass other security controls. To learn more, visit conceal.io.